fucking birthday, Reed. Yeah, congrats. Like, yeah, congrats on turning 24. Let's see if you make it to 25 with all this bullshit. Yeah, God. <laughs> I thought I had a bad birthday when I had to put a kitten down the same day. This dude's going fucking through it. This guy's like, hey, a woman got serial murder rape blue-eyed. Um, and I don't even know what kind of crime that is. <laughs> so let's, let's actually talk about... Dr. Spencer Reed turning 24 for a second. So he turns 24, and yes. Morgan has pulled a mean, mean prank on him by giving him candles that don't blow out. Um, and then, like, uh, JJ is like, now that's kind of, like, Spencer, they're trick. He's tricking you. He's being a tricky boy. Um, and Morgan goes, okay, Mom. Um, and... <laughs> Which is unsettling, considering how they try and set Reed and JJ up, like, 20 minutes later. Yeah. Uh, I, I do like that Spencer goes, Mom? Um, he's so cute. Um, mommy issues alert. This boy's got fucking mommy issues. But, uh, no, so, um, this starts the the very brief JJ Reed, well, they won't they? They won't. Which I hate. I forgot about this. I remember watching, like, the middle seasons of criminal minds and hearing that they get together in later seasons and being furious because i'm like where the fuck did that come from nowhere it's bullshit and then i watched these episodes and i was like god damn it yeah so there's like a five episode stint here at the beginning of the show and then like season four like 13 14 they talk about it a little bit but she doesn't end, like even end up with him like she stays with her husband so it's yeah. a weird plot <laughs> yeah there's no they have the sexual chemistry of like potatoes they are best friends yeah, no one on this show outside of Garcia and Morgan have any right fucking each other. Absolutely not. Like, I tried to look at fanfiction for this fucking show, and it's all... It's they're like, yeah, they're all fucking each other, and it's all bad, first yeah. of all, obviously. But also just, like, none of these characters have... Like, none of these characters are remotely fucking each other or fuckable. Like, I don't know what's going on. I was like, where am I? So Graham, my partner, uh, will disagree with you entirely because I showed them this episode and the only comment they had for about most of the episodes was Garcia and Morgan need to fuck or get off the sex swing. Listen, to be fair, I think they're just best friends that hit on each other, but that's my take. I do agree that they could be fucking every goddamn minute and it would be fair. No, no, the love of my life is like these two are fucking, they're fucking all the time. It is all that they want to do. They are fucking like is going out of style. Yeah, they, they're doing a type of fucking that should be illegal. And you know what? That's fair. They deserve it. So I think this episode truly earns us our explicit rating. <laughs> I was gonna say, we were horny in the last episode, and we're just gonna get worse, so I apologize. I think we weren't that horny in the first two to, like, lure people in, and now you're just seeing our true colors. Yeah. Also, like, in the last episode, we weren't that horny because it wasn't a sex crime episode, so we're like, damn it, what are we supposed to be horny for, bomb? I know, like, what's going on here? And then episode four is when we can get real spicy and mention fucking fan fiction. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so let's get into the plot summary of episode four. So episode four is called Plain Sight because the team, after celebrating Spencer Reed's 24th birthday, are sent down to San Diego where a unsub who has been nicknamed the Tommy Killer in the media. I didn't know what the fuck that meant. I didn't either. But apparently there's a, uh, there's a rock opera called Tommy. It came out in like 1975 or something like that. It's from, it's by the who? That band? 
Yeah, this is wild, because they do mention, they're like, yeah, the Tommy Killer after that rock opera, and, like, Morgan rolls his eyes, and they never mention it again, and I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah, and, like, I I know this show is for more for our parents than for us, so I looked at the, the, the IMDb page for The Who, and it looks like they have, uh, they did The Kids Are Alright, Quadrophena, The Boat That Rocked, and Tommy. I've never heard of any of these fucking... <laughs> They do a lot of theme songs, like CSI music, they do that. But yeah, them being like, yeah, the who, like, who the fuck are they? And this maybe just shows our age. Um, Absolutely. But yeah, we don't know what the fuck is going on in this episode, in the first part. But anyway, so this unsub, who's the Tommy killer or whatever the fuck, is breaking into upper class homes, killing women raping them, gluing their eyes open, and destroying all of their shit, and then putting, like, a love ballad on the mirror in lipstick. So, there's a lot going on with these crime scenes. So, this episode, they kind of talk about, like, signatures. So, when you kill somebody, and there's, like, something that you consistently do, that's called a signature, and that's, uh, something that's inherent to your crime, because you can't control that impulse. So, like, in episode two, Clara Hayes, her impulse is three. So that's her signature is that she does crimes in threes. So this guy, he, his signature is to glue their eyes open, which, okay. But also break all their shit, write poems on the wall and do all this other stuff. Apparently that's supposed to be extraneous. That's because he just wants attention. Um, Which don't we all? Yeah. So, you know, like, fuck it, sure. Through the course of their investigation, we run across a crime unrelated to the unsub. It is a young black man that breaks into a house and attempts to rape the homeowner, but is scared off by her husband coming home. And this sets up an episode-long fight between the FBI and the local cops about if the killer is white or black. I also have in my notes the words, they did a racist fake out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um, they super did. They have it totally set up that this is just like a racist old man who's lying. But twist, it actually was a black guy that tried to rape this woman. And it's like, I don't know what statement you're trying to make here. Yeah, like, I don't get what's going on. Because, like, Elle's like, she'll talk to me because I'm a woman. And it's like, so, like, what are you trying to imply here? Like... Yeah, like, I know you, like, I get the idea of, like, you're surrounded by men, you're probably not gonna go into, like, the details of your rape. That makes sense to me, like, whatever's going on. But, like, the whole time Hotch is like, listen, interracial rape doesn't happen. Like, it is not a fucking, like, several characters from the BAU are like... Yeah interracial rape isn't a thing um and it's like heavily hinted that it's this old man like bullshitting and like being a racist little asshole but then later like i said the big reveal is that it was like their grocery delivery boy just finishing the summary real quick so uh that guy's arrested they use him to lure out the tommy killer after unsuccessfully wiretapping the tommy killer says that he's going to kill somebody the next day they manage to piece together that he is a phone line operator who like repairs telephone poles and that's why he's gluing their eyes open and making them look at the window so that he can see they can see him in the days after he rapes them and after a tense standoff gideon manages to convince him to put the gun down and not kill the woman that he has like tied up in her bedroom a lot's going on in this one but i want to talk about the like the race theory that they're 
propositioning in this episode because race is somehow both like an unspoken and very much spoken about thing in this episode yeah there's a lot of subtext that doesn't make sense yeah so interracial rape is a thing yes so here's the thing this show kind of has the idea that a serial rapist is different from your run-of-the-mill rapist and i kind of disagree with that point because like the motivating factor of raping someone you know versus raping strangers is going to be different but it's still about power assertion and you can definitely rape across racial lines in a way that power asserts yeah and like asserting in the united states that interracial rape isn't a thing when considering just like the amount of black women historically that have been raped by white men is wild the amount of native american women rape, right like there is a lot of interracial rape along yeah. power lines in the united states uh you know American soldiers taking comfort wives in, like, you know, in Japan or in Korea or, like, overseas, you know, people, like, there's, American men will rape women of different races, of different uh, ethnicities, of different cultural uh, roots. So, no, race doesn't, it will play a factor. Yeah, the hard line interracial rape doesn't exist is a wild stance for these people to be taking. Especially in 2003. (laughs) Yeah. And like, I get, so this is where I get to the subtext of it, because the subtext I got for like the first 10 minutes or so is that Hotch is like the hero calling this racist old white man like on his bullshit, right? Because it very much calls to mind, like, the woman doesn't see whoever it was, it's just the husband. And they're like, are you sure it was a black guy? That doesn't make sense. And he's like, yes, absolutely. And like, it's very much hinted that this is just like a racial, like, allegory thing. Mm -hmm. But then ruining the subtext is making the person who did it like actually black yeah actually black grocery boy which like flips that whole idea of like on its head it's a really weird mixed up subtext because if you're Mm -hmm. relying on the fact that there's no interracial rape ever to make the statement that this is a weird racist white guy but then validate the weird racist white guy because there was interracial rape like an attempted interracial Mm -hmm. rape like what are you trying to say and so like let's be fair they're not saying that there's no such thing as interracial rape they're saying that uh sexual offenders it's very very rare no not even that they're saying sexual offenders like serial rapists are different they rape differently and therefore like preferential sexual offenders will not rape somebody across uh, lines yeah this this type of rape does not i mean they've talked to jeffrey dahmer jeffrey dahmer had a preference for asian men like like he he like several of his victims were black too so like they've it's not like they've never come across this in the field yeah, and like I said, like I said, regardless of like what the distinction of rape they're trying to draw, like hinting that it's a racism thing, but then validating it is a weird move to make, like just as a writing choice. Yeah. So, and this comes into a second issue that I have with this episode, in that they arrest this twenty-year-old black man, and listen, he's not, he's not a good person. Like he tried to rape a woman, and that is bad. An old yeah, lady. An older woman. And that's a bad thing to do, regardless of, like, whatever the else hell is going on in this scene. And I think, like... I have a lot of questions about what you're about to get into, yeah. so just go for it. Yeah, so so he, this man, he did attempt to rape a woman, and that is bad. So he is arrested, and the FBI claims he was arrested in connection with the Tommy Killer investigation. Yes, to lure the Tommy killer out. That, so that's a blatant lie. So here's the thing. And like a planned lie. Like they discuss in the show, this is what we are going to do. 
before they even make this arrest. Arthur's like, it's gonna, he's, this guy's gonna be real fucking mad when a six foot four black dude is arrested and we call him the Tommy Killer. Yeah. First of all, weird, weird that you mentioned the race in that sentence as well. Second of all, so this gets into libel laws. So we're not allowed to say this person was arrested because he's the Tommy Killer. So that's why they say, like, we've made an arrest in connection with the Tommy Killer investigation. You have not. Pa- pointedly, you have not. Yeah, by de- by definition, you could say. No, you, no, you can't even by definition because, like, although they were originally there because, like, they thought it was the Tommy Killer investigation, they very quickly found that it was not. The experts said that it was not. There's no evidence that points to the fact that it was connected. So that is no longer an arrest in connection with the Tommy Killer rape. A big part of it also um, is like he was wearing a ski mask when he raped her. Attempted. Or attempted to rape her. They made a big point of, well, the reason he's gluing their eyes open is he wants them to see him. And also he's killing them after, so why would he be wearing a mask? So they know pretty much immediately that this was not the Tommy Killer. It was just like a badly timed attempted rape. Yes. Plus, like, she's not dead. They don't have a, like, they don't have anything that would forensically connect him to the Tommy Killer investigation. All yes. they have is a break-in at a house. So, here's, so here's the, the thing that would happen. This kid, who's like 20, would probably be bailed out and then would fucking sue the shit out of the FBI and probably win, let's be real. Absolutely. Because what they've done is, uh, they created a situation in which he was, he was, linked to the tommy killer so by putting this guy's face and image all over the tommy killer story they're irrevocably linking him with the tommy killer because you're irrevocably tying his image with that of the tommy killer he has a right to sue a lot of the journalistic entities that exist in that place it would get kind of out of hand very quickly because the national news would probably pick that up it would be wild and um, a lot of the times when something like this happens, the national news is not very uh, great at updating. Yeah. No, like, you fuck this guy's up life forever. And, you know. Yeah, which, again, for an episode that is trying to be loud about race, you also just absolutely ruined this young black man's life. Intentionally, knowingly framed him for a crime mm-hmm. to lure out and catch this one random unsub. Like, Again, it's weird. It's a weird plot line subtext. Like, it's just wild. And, like, again, you know, we have to say, like, to the point, like, this this guy did try to rape a woman. It's not like he's an innocent person. Yeah. But the, the fact of the matter is it doesn't matter if he's an innocent person or not. What the police and the FBI did in this case was knowingly and intentionally manipulate the media to convict a man who is going to have a rougher time in his you know trial now for attempted rape because people think he is associated with the tommy killer investigation so like they have done irrevocable harm to this person and it doesn't matter if he's innocent or not you're not allowed to lie to you know do that because that's unethical behavior so in reality i think the fbi would get a lot of flack for this because again you can't just you can't just do that Exactly. Like, we're not saying he didn't attempt rape or that he shouldn't have been tried and probably convicted for that. It's trying to frame him for a serial rape and murder, like, as a serial killer, Mm -hmm. that is wild. Like, you're just doing it in the media just because. Like, it's just, it's crazy. It would be insane. This case would be, just get so complicated so quickly. No, he could sue the shit out of the FBI. (laughs) 
Yeah, absolutely. Like, without hesitation. When they invite the press over and then they, like, perp walk him in front of the press like that, we'd also consider that unethical behavior because, like... I was gonna say, can they show his face? Like... They can. If he's being arrested and charged, presumably, they can show his face. Now, the police would have to tell us what he's being charged with. So an, an arrest record uh, is, act, like, here's there's two things that are public information. Three, technically. So arrest, incident report, and uh, booking. So yes. if he gets arrested, that's public information. We know that he's been arrested. If he's booked that booking photo and all of the information relevant to a booking that's public information so like right now like if if you got arrested for dui and i know what county that you got arrested in i would go to their website and i could probably find your booking photo immediately yeah we do that with all of our experts before trial yeah yeah so you you would search for that because that's public information you can argue whether or not it should be but it is so so his booking photo would be public information his arrest would be public information the incident report would be public information now this is where the fbi is going to get into some tricky legal issues because you can't lie on the incident reports yeah which means either their press is actively reporting false information or they are lying on their reports in order to lie to the press which is also fucking wild the police who arrested him or the FBI would have to send out a statement once they arrest this guy and that would include like why he's being arrested what he's being charged with if it if he's being charged I as a reporter would be like okay so what's this guy being charged with and if it's one count of attempted rape uh you know that's that's suspicious that ain't the Tommy killer <laughs> that ain't the Tommy killer acknowledging that you know when you're arrested sometimes they just arrest you on one charge and then later upgrade those charges based on the information that they can find but if I'm a reporter and they're like, this guy's the Tommy killer, but the only charge is attempted rape, you know, that means something. So I'd probably be looking into that. And once I saw that, like, they're not including suspected of all these other crimes or they're not, like, talking about those other crimes, none of that information is on the booking, the incident report, all of that stuff. I'd probably go like, all right, now hold on there, news director. Let's talk for a moment. Yeah. Because all we have is a perp walk, somebody saying that he was arrested in connection without giving us any details, and uh, like an incident report that only seems to show one crime. Something's going on. Yeah, I'd, I'd be suspicious. Yes. So that's like kind of like the big media stuff. Let's talk about like the profile and stuff like that, because that's normally what we do. Okay. So the Tommy killer. So he kills primarily middle, upper class white women in their homes. So all of these are the marks of a killer that is confident enough to walk into a like in a high income area and not be caught but lacks a certain amount of comfortability with like you know he doesn't knock on the door he he breaks in so that's a lack of confidence he's someone that would fit into the neighborhood but not be seen so that's generally seen as like a utility worker some kind of work person yeah or someone i think they mentioned who might be high enough class to like not immediately get the cops called Mm -hmm. on him but if he was high enough class to be there and not get the cops called on him, he would probably have the confidence required to, like, knock on the door and then blitz attack. Instead, he breaks in and blitz attacks. So exactly. they pretty pretty much think he's either some kind of tradesman, uh, like a worker of some sort, or just some person that's middle-ish class that could relatively blend in. They profile him as, like, a day worker. I think they say dineural, so, like, he's awake during the sunlight, which is strange because most crime wouldn't happen in broad daylight like this he's taking a lot of risks yeah so again that links back to like confidence to commit these types of crimes but not enough to be like accepted into this world he's 
somewhat young when people commit like rape or violent crime to women the younger they are generally the older their victims are and then they kind of plateaus up in the middle and then the older or the, the younger the victim is the older the person is so uh yeah and they mentioned this yeah so his, because his victims are in their like 30s he's probably around that similar age and there's psychological reasons for this mostly it has to do with power imbalances and, and uh, vulnerabilities but that's like a weird kind of uh, psychology field. So he's he's an angry guy, but he's also he's furious if he's not giving credit in this world. And that points us to the actual Tommy killer, which is Franklin Graney. He is a phone line repairman. So he is like the person that's climbing up the phone lines and repairing them, which is how he is able to reroute a call when he's calling into the tip line. He's able to route it through like 25 different phone lines it's because he's making the call from the utility pole he is he's he's confident enough again to go in and rape these women but he's not confident enough to like knock on their doors he breaks into their houses he needs to take them hostage by either show physical dominance or by manipulating them like the mom with the baby yes um and he is he is this man is ego fucking driven he is obsessed with the idea that he will be famous and popular sounds like a law student at home he lives with a dominating woman uh this is a thing the show does sometimes where it's like you see women bad when dominant which is like a weird stance yes you see how his mom's mean to him he's gonna be a serial killer now watch out his mom or his wife or whoever the fuck woman is there it doesn't matter like literally they don't even show her she's that unimportant yeah it's just for her to be shrill like in the background yeah he's meticulous he's ego driven and then ultimately he is what they call an exploitative rapist now so a couple weeks ago we explained the difference between a power assertive and a anger exploitation rapist there are other types of rapists, like there's sadist-driven rapes, um, there's like power, uh, like there's other types of power sort of rapists, but uh, exploitative rape, as they define it in this show, is a rapist that needs to be seen. He's driven by ego and he wants you to play into his fantasy. If you turn away and disregard the fantasy, then he gets angry and shows a sign of violence. Now, so I'm doing research and I'm looking at a couple of fields and one of the places that I like to look at for uh, sexual violence is um, the Office of Sex Offender Sentencing, Monitoring, Apprehending, Registering, and Tracking. That's uh, SMART. It's a, it's part of the Department of Justice. So they have like, a lot of relevant information on like rape and the types of rapists. So I've been kind of going back to them a lot for like information. So he would be classified as a stranger rapist, a hostile rapist, and I would I would honestly call him a sadist rapist because he's inflicting harm and like pain and validation is what he's like seeking. So you could call him a sadist, you could call him a power reassurance. I'm not really seeing a legal definition for exploitative rapist. Like the his goal isn't it's sex, it's power, it's recognition, it's acknowledgement. Um, so I don't know if exploitative is like just an older term or if it's just a term they made up for the show but i don't know what an exploitative rapist is this guy's a power assurance rapist i don't know it's weird that's really all i have for all of that we can get into the legal issues real quick i want to start really quickly by saying Derek park's in a in a handicapped spot Ooh, send him to fucking jail send him to federal prison that motherfucker god yeah, I also, so I also have a completely unrelated note, which is, like, at one point, like we mentioned, there's this long poem, and he's writing from, like, Death's point of view, because, like, 
the poem is yeah. Death talking to a wealthy woman in like the 1600s, telling her she's gonna die and she's like begging for her life. And so he's putting like the death parts, but like stanzas, like one stanza per victim. Mm-hmm. And they ask Reed, they're like, hey, is like he a doctorate in English? Like, is there something that he would have to know to know this poem? And Reed's like, well, anybody can fucking Google it, which like, yeah, King, but um, how many people would just know this like off the top of their head? You know what I mean? Like, how many people would have some yeah. serious connection to this random... Like, I don't see this rapist, like, Googling, like, poems about death, talking to a woman, knowing wealth. Like, it's a very specific poem. It does not turn out to be super connected mm-hmm. because he's just using it to, like, throw people off or whatever he's doing with it. But I thought that was weird. Mm-hmm. But as we go into it, so there's a few general categories... There's not actually a ton of legal issues with this. That's because a lot of it takes place, like, at the house of one of the victims. They mention explicitly, like, she's killed. The dad takes their young daughter and leaves. Um, Gideon, at one point, is like, yeah, I don't see him, like, moving back in. But he's like, they gave us permission to go in and search whatever we need to. So that, they don't need a warrant, right? They have permanent permission. Um, If they need to renew it, they can call the husband of the victim. So that's fine. Uh, Morgan does say that, like, whatever we find at the scene will help us prosecute, but that would depend on what they find because detectives would have already come to this for evidence. It's all probably already being examined in labs. So they're really using, I guess, like, psychological evidence. They do the whole, like, Hannibal TV show thing where they, like, picture what's going on and it all changes around them or whatever. Mm -hmm. But it's not necessarily useful, but, like, they could go in. That would Mm -hmm. be fine. Another, like, area is they do have the phone lines. So they set up a phone line to encourage people to call and then monitor those lines. That's totally legal. They can monitor and they can tap their own phone lines. So they can record what's being said. They can use whatever signal is being searched to find the incoming call because it is their line, right? They don't need permission to search it. It's what they own or what they're setting up. Mm -hmm. Now, the use of, like, public utilities and whatever else Garcia is doing, I don't, like, they never say exactly how she's searching it. It's really shady, but we'll assume they are using it from, like, their base, and so it's not necessarily, like, a search on his property, right? They're doing the search from their property, so it is not something they would necessarily need a warrant for. That's just what they do. Yeah, so the tap and trace from their own lines. That would also be, so if you have historical, so it would depend. So if they are searching for historical data on tracking where he is day-to-day, like, that would be through his own phone line, That's a search because they're getting private information. They're getting data that is private to you. They're getting it from your data. But just where you are by pinging the phone lines is not necessarily a search. That would be more of a court battle. Again, they also come into the, like, almost victim's house at the very end. Um, Her baby's crying. Gideon hears it. They know he's about to rape someone that morning, so they're all, like, searching desperately around the neighborhood. So that's more than probable cause. I think the back door was even open, so, like, he can go in. He has probable cause to search the house. He was in her backyard. Is that allowed? He's on her property, but I think they show that he is, like, he he hears the baby that he's, like, running after. Mm -hmm. Like, because, like, they're all just searching this neighborhood. They're like, he's going to fucking rape and kill someone, like, in an act, like, right now. So they're searching. He hears the baby. He sprints. Again, he's just in her backyard. The door is open. Like, I think that would be reasonable. So he goes into the house. He tries to calm the baby down. He goes upstairs with his gun drawn, finds the unsub with the woman still tied up on the bed. 
and basically threatens him, like, I'll kill you and fucking lie about it and say that you weren't the Tommy killer and you can die, like, anonymous, or we can arrest you and put your face fucking everywhere. It's the wildest shit in the world. Yeah, it's wild. Again, cops can lie to suspects and, like, do some crazy shit. It's also to get him to put the gun down, and none of it's, right, none of it's inherent. Like, he's not lying and saying, I'll fake the report, and presumably that is a lie, right? He's not making some promise. He's just trying to get him to put the gun down. So that would be legal. Um, He then puts his gun down, all of that. There is a point where they are looking for the location of this technician, because they found out he's a phone technician, Um, and they just, like, bust into this fucking, like, random phone company and are yelling at this, like, 16-year-old clerk who's absolutely getting paid minimum wage (laughs) and is like, we need the location of all of your technicians right fucking now. And if the business gives it to them, they don't need a warrant because the business, it is a third-party doctrine. Third parties can give whatever they want, so the business could give that information to them and it's fine. If it's, like... And also, if it's, like, where they're working or things like that, that might be public information depending on how this works. Like, who can, like, you can look up whatever. Um, I mean, his coworker voluntarily kind of states that, and I think, wouldn't that be okay? Yeah, that's what I mean. That's the third-party doctrine, right? The coworker tells them. Because it's not, it's not privileged information where you're working. Yeah. Um, so that's, like, right, so that's two things. If it was privileged, it would still be fine because the business is giving it to you. It's not privileged because pretty much anyone could find it out anyway. But I mean, beyond that, like a uh, like a phone line is a public utility. He's a public worker, even if it's a private company that's maintaining them. He's working on he's working on public property, so therefore, like his his location number one is not privileged. Number two, it's public information. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's like I could walk into a phone company and ask like where Mark is working that day, and they could tell me. So it's not privileged information. Well, no, you can't actually go. You can't do that because. There are worker protections for private... Like, I can't go into Aeropostale in the mall right now and be like, when's Amy working? They they don't have to tell me that. That's not... That's not public information. But he's on... He's working on a public utility, and even if that's a 16-year-old clerk, that's probably a public... Like, you know, I said earlier it might have been a private service. I think that might be a public service to, you know, fix those. So, because he's a public worker working on a public utility, that's that's not privileged information. That's public information. That's what I mean, because it's public. So, like, they could tell me, like, as a private citizen, they don't have to give it to me. But, like, you can walk in and ask, and they can absolutely give it to you. Like, fun fact, if you live in apartment complexes, people can walk in and ask who lives in what unit. And they can tell you, as well as give forwarding addresses or anything like that. That's not, like, private information. So that is something that, like, it's not likely if I just walked in in, like, a t-shirt and cutoffs that they'd, like, tell me. But it wouldn't be illegal if they did. So... Mm. This is something, again, regardless, it's getting in. Further, even if it was somehow private and they didn't and they needed a warrant and they couldn't get it, what they used it for was to find his location and people aren't, um, like, protected. So, like, evidence would be thrown out, right? You search a house without a warrant that you need a warrant for and you find pot on the table. They exclude the fact that there's pot, right? Because that warrant was invalid, so therefore the evidence is invalid. That doesn't apply to physically finding the defendant. So if I, say, walk into a phone company that uh, that's a private phone company with private information and I don't have a warrant and I hack into their systems, like Garcia mm-hmm. does often, and finds their location, and I don't find any evidence, I just find the location of the person and w- happen to walk in on them committing a rape murder, 
their location and the fact that we found them mm-hmm. is not excluded. So that's just to say that that whole thing is completely, totally fine. Um, all of that. So yeah, so they go into him putting the gun down. I also just wanted to note that rape is a federal crime if it is being investigated by federal agents and if federal agents make the arrest but there's nothing specific about this besides the fact that the FBI is helping out that makes it different from a state level rape and murder case so really the only thing making this a federal case would be the fact that the FBI is there otherwise this would be handled in state state courts also I believe at this point there have been like six murders so that would make it federal crime yes there's not a lot legally going on in this episode is the issue. I was going to say, my notes are like half a page. Like, there's... It's because they, ha- they it takes place entirely in that one person's house, and they gave him permission. So, like, what are we going to talk about? Yeah, so this is a... You know, not every episode can be great. <laughs> yeah, like, it's fine, but it's pretty milk toast. Like, I would watch this if I, like, wanted background noise and didn't want to have to tune into what's happening. Not every episode can have a serial killer bomber, you know? Okay, so let's go on to part two. Um, So episodes four and five don't have a lot, so we're actually making this a joint episode. Um, I don't like episode five. Do you not? It's not my favorite. I'll say, like, I don't dislike it. There's just not a lot to go on here. Yeah, there's, it's just a pretty, like, it's not boring, but it's not, like, too exciting either. Yeah, uh, real quick, before we get into the plot points, I just want to make a note. Haley is so fucking pregnant in this episode. Like, (laughs) Hotch's wife is ready to fucking pop, and he is across the goddamn nation. Um, I would kill him. (laughs) Yeah, like, she is in the hospital. She's in her house, but she's on bed rest. No, she says he says that she's in the hospital. I think they like, took her to the hospital, but then she she's now on bed rest because she they're worried about preeclampsia because like they did a check in and she has like really low blood sugar. Yeah, and she's like so fucking pregnant. Yeah, like either way, they are timing how often she can turn over in bed. Like it is not a joke. Yeah. So like, hey, Hodge, go home. Yeah. <laughs> like, like if she like who's taking care of this woman? Like if you're on bed rest, you can't get up. Yeah, I think it's either her sister or her mom, but like. Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> so let's get to the plot. So this episode starts off with, with what I would call a DUI. Because um, it's a couple at a party. He's clearly drunk. She, But she's like, I'm not going to give you your keys until you do these quirky little field sobriety test things. And he doesn't pass. And she gives him the keys. So that's first off. He is visibly wobbling and like gets to her and kisses her. And she's like, well, I guess I'll give you the keys. And it's like. But don't speed. And it's like, no, don't. What are you doing? <laughs> it's like, what are you doing? Like, you're lucky that, like, you got kidnapped by an unsub before this man could drive you into a tree. Like, <laughs> anyways. So, fucking, these two drunk assholes are driving around. And they, they do the most unrealistic thing I've ever seen in an episode of Criminal Minds. Is in that they find a car on the side of the road. And the woman's like, let's stop and go look. Yeah, like, she's like, let's stop and look, and then, like, five seconds later, when this is obviously, like, not great, she's like, we should maybe leave, and then the boyfriend is all up in it, which I will say that is realistic. I'll give them that. <laughs> but, so, they, they get out of their car in the middle of the road for a black-tinted window truck, 
and they like they're like looking at it and this is like a murder fucking truck it's got hail in the background to i i guess absorb the blood it's it's haunting no one in their right mind would look into it. Yeah, it's totally empty. Again, the girlfriend is, like, back by her car, like, okay, we looked, nobody's in danger, we should probably fucking go. And the boyfriend is, like, peering in the window and, like, refusing to leave. He's, like, o- trying to open the doors. Yeah, and it's like, that's not the point. That's not why you got out. There's nobody else there? Let's go. I swear to God, you leave him there any longer, he's gonna start checking the air pressure and <laughs> tightening yes. lug nuts. Like, this man God. is fucking stupid. Um... And so they get back into their car, and what do you know? The keys are gone. Um, it's the most slasher opening to an episode of this show. It's very horror movie-esque. How did he sneak in there and get the keys? Because their girlfriend, like I said, is maybe five feet away from the front of the car. So, like, very sus. But sure, he got the keys somehow. They were distracted. Whatever. And then still somehow in front of the car. So he comes up with a gun in the window. This is very reminiscent of, like, the Zodiac Killer, who... As you know, uh, San Francisco in the, I think it was early 60s, would attack mostly couples that were, like, in their car. Uh, He didn't use, like, ruses or anything like that, but this is, like, a clear, like, visual metaphor. The boyfriend gets fucking murked. Uh, This guy is so dead. He is so fucking dead. What's his name? I think his name is, like, what is it, Jordan or Josh or something? Something unmemorable. Yeah, he's, it's, you could have just named him, like, like, dead boy, um, because that's all he is. So... This girl, her name is Patricia Davenport. She is kidnapped. And she's not just any girl. She is the uh, daughter of the, and I, I wrote it down, it's like the executive assistant to the U.S. attorney. So it's like a high. Oh, not the, I thought it was the U.S. attorney himself. It's, it's, it's something like that. Like he's, he's a very important man. The U.S. attorney for the Northern District of New York, if I remember okay, right. Okay, so this is in New York. I didn't write down the location and as much as I Googled it, they would not let me know. Yeah, it's not New York City. I don't think they're the Northern District. It's somewhere in New York. Anyways, they're. It's upstate New York. Cool. So she's kidnapped and a ransom note is left and the team looks into this ransom note and they're like, this is really weird because it's not a traditional ransom note. Like it doesn't say don't go to the cops. It doesn't say this or that. It's not personal. It just seems like a weird note left by a weird guy. So they, they're they looking into this case. They find out that Patricia is actually not just an identical twin, but she is a mirror twin. She has a twin whose name is Cheryl. And they, okay, so in the episode, they kind of explain what a mirror twin is, but I looked into it a little bit and I got some more information from, I think it was Healthline, but apparently. It also has no relevance to the plot at all, even a little bit. It doesn't, but I'm going to explain it regardless. Uh, a mirror. It's pretty neat. A mirror twin, so identical twins are monozygotic, which means you get one fertilized egg through the process of reproduction. It splits into two. You get two identical twins that share basically everything there's like different like slight differences but they're identical that split usually happens within the first seven days because like it has to happen incredibly early on in the pregnancy for both fetuses to remain viable when it comes to mirror twins that split happens a little bit later so instead of happening in the first week it happens usually in the second week of the like baby's development or the fetus's development instead of getting one twin you get two and they don't really know why it does this but like the the dna strands are just copied over like opposite so for a mirror twin organs will be on the opposite side but also like 
if you have differences in facial features, like if your nose is like a little bit different on the left side, on the other twin, it will be different on the right side. Eye shape, ear shape, moles, freckles, stuff like that will all appear on the opposite side. And whereas like identical twins usually don't have this, like they don't have the same fingerprints because fingerprints aren't like a DNA thing. They're more of like a, they're formed in the womb. Mirror twins will not have the same fingerprints, but if you have like a certain set of fingerprints, like if you have like two swirls and then like a like a different pattern on the third finger, a mirror twin might have different swirls, but the but it will be like two swirls and the different pattern on like the third finger just flipped. What's well, neat? So it's uh it's really cool and kind of creepy on honestly, but like very interesting. But again, I don't know why they mentioned this or put it in the episode except <laughs> to have something cool to have Dr. Reed talk about. Like Yeah. Well, that's what this kind of whole episode is. It's just something cool for Dr. Reed to talk about between being called autistic and uh nearly getting shot, <laughs> which is fine. So yeah, so this girl is abducted and her twin is kind of the object of obsession for the kidnapper it turns out he's not trying to kidnap patricia he's trying to kidnap both twins he wants both of them one of those guys he's one of those fuckers that needs a complete set he does say a complete set at one point yeah he does call them the whole set <laughs> he also is like the most victim blaming motherfucker i've ever like he's like you asked for this you wanted this you're weird and freaks yes so it turns out he's not just any random guy he's actually an fbi agent i think it's vincent shire was their name that i wrote down i or sayer and so after so they find out that essentially he had brought in wiretap like, like when they brought in the wiretap to monitor the phone calls from the uh, unsub, they let him listen to all of their calls because he put a listening device in their wiretap. So uh, he was able to figure out where they were going and attempts to kidnap Cheryl. Luckily, even though he knocks Morgan the fuck out with the taser, El Greenway is a different breed. She comes out of the shadows and beats his ass with a competency that I've never just like, wrecks his like, shit. Literally, she almost breaks this man's arm in like three seconds flat, and then get, gets him on <laughs> gets him on the floor, steps on his dick. And the world's biggest girl boss moment puts her foot over his dick and is like, tell me where the fuck the girls are. And he does. He tells her this guy lives, which is surprising. And they manage to get both the twins and everyone is happy at the end. Now, I'm going to touch on erotomania for a little bit. Erotomania is what the team kind of diagnoses the unsub with. Yeah, it is a fairly common, within the, within admirable psych world, it's fairly common. It's also known as, what is that, de Colombie syndrome? It's French. <laughs> Let's look at WebMD, that's just, you know, as we all know, the height of medical research. <laughs> yes. So basically, erotomania is a disorder. It's obsessive in nature, so it's the belief that somebody is in love with you. It's usually from a higher social strata, so... Most commonly, we think of celebrities, but it can be just, like, anybody, really. Apparently, it's um, it's in the same kind of cluster as, like, schizophrenia and bipolar disorder in that it's, like, an attachment disorder that happens because you are unable to regulate relationships with other people and, like, really kind of determine what those are. Erotomania and those who suffer from it are categorized by, like, deep feelings of obsession and what they would think of as love. It's not really. They often kind of blame the object of their affection for their affections and 
this can become extremely violent and it's a subtype of delusional disorder i was gonna say because a lot of this has a lot of similar similarities with paranoid delusions which is one you believe something despite there not being like real evidence for it right you're like well they glanced at me that means this right or the celebrity is giving me hidden messages on their public statements whatever is feeding the delusion two it's very fixed so trying to reason with people trying to convince them that it's not true one won't work and two will usually either if it doesn't completely destroy whatever relationship you have it can occasionally make people very violent when we talk about mental disorders we kind of generally put up the preface of most of the time people who have these conditions are the victims of uh, violent crime rather than perpetrators of violent crime erotomania can be a disorder in which other people are at risk specifically the object of a person's affection we're not saying that like everybody with this is going to be extremely violent but but it is, you know, if somebody has this, it, it's a significant risk and it's it's something that you should be taking seriously. Yes. And I did find the famous case. Um, it's the assassination attempt on Ronald Reagan where he got shot by John Hinckley Jr. Um, was driven by an erotomanic fixation on Jodie Foster, who was an actress. And the assassin was like trying to impress her by assassinating Ronald Reagan. That was a pretty big one. There's also like an, a rock. There's like some woman who was in music, but yeah. So okay. So. There's a lot of real life cases of this, cause like I said, it's it's decently common. So the fact that this is in the DSM five means that it's like common enough that people can not only study it but give it a, like a defined name and as parameters. So that means like it's it's fairly common. Okay. So and before we get into the legal concerns, Gideon's a dick. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. I have this written in my notes because. They form this plan, right, to, like, hang up on the unsub and piss him off to gain control. Mm-hmm. All The whole team forms this. This is not Gideon, like, going wild. He's like, well, you know what we have to do to get control. Like, Gideon forms this plan with everyone and is going through with it, but apparently doesn't see fit to tell the dad or sister, like, what they're going to be doing, but allows mm-hmm. them in the room during this incredibly stressful, incredibly risky operation, doesn't get their permission, doesn't, again, warn them what's going to happen. So the dad starts freaking out because the guy is screaming and telling he's going to kill the kill the daughter that he has hostage, right? Yeah. And the dad's like, what the fuck are you doing? He's like freaking out and struggling and they hold him down as Gideon does this. And it's like, you could have solved this if you'd, one, gotten permission or two, at least been like, hey, this is what's going to happen. It's going to be very stressful. It's going to be very rough. But like, don't completely freak out. I think the family has fucking perfect justification to sue this man. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. For emotional damages, if nothing else. Yeah, and this guy's like a fucking, like, top dog attorney for, like, the U.S. government. So, like, you bet your ass he's gonna see Gideon in court. His hand is, like, above the keyboard typing the complaint as we speak. Yeah, no. So, Gideon is getting sued for fucking just being so like so mean not only to the unsub but to these this poor family like he's like he's like measuring his dick against the unsubs on the table Derek's going to get a reprimand from HR because he's again being weird with L but also at one point in the episode he's like I don't mess with a woman who carries a gun yes I will say my first note my very first bullet point for this episode is Derek Morgan gets pussy in all caps <laughs> 
because the first scene with Derek Morgan is he's like, well, what are you doing at the Redskins game with um, JJ to read? And then like a female agent gives him a file and is, or like says like, hey, I left a file on your desk. And he's like, well, you didn't have to, like you could have sent it. And she was like, no, but I wanted to. And then like three women walk by and like wink and giggle at him. And it's like, hey, we need to calm down here, you guys. This is a little, these are professional women. Like. No, so that, so that's fun. Uh, I like that we just have those that little moment because Derek's about to be a real cunt in the next episode so I'm glad we get a fun time that's true also unrelated my last bullet point is air is agent thought Morgan shirtless scene so we can get to that it's the first Derek Morgan shirtless scene of this show and it's far from the last <laughs> it's glorious because he he's sitting in a dark room and he's got his like shirt pulled up I th- it, like is it between his teeth or is it just like up on his chest oh it's between his teeth yeah and I'm like can you can we do this like maybe a little bit more god-honoringly yeah like it's between he's like smoothing a bandage over his waist right above his v-line and then he like pulls it and like it pans up because it starts at like his jeans and like pans fully up and then he pulls the shirt down and it's like jesus christ hey i don't know like i know this show was written by a man it was written for women (laughs) like there's no you, you will not prove to me that this show was written for a man um uh, because, like, there are scenes like this where, the, like, because there's no lingering camera shots on, like, L or JJ. But, by the way, this is, like, I think the only episode where JJ and Garcia aren't in it for the, like, the only episode where Garcia isn't in it, period, because she's in every other episode of Criminal Minds. The only episode where J, uh, JJ, I think, this season isn't in it. No, like... The, like, there's no lingering sexy shots on those two. It's just fucking Derek Morgan in a dark room taking his shirt off with yeah, his teeth. Yeah, that's it. Listen, they know what their viewers want. <laughs> okay, so let's get to um, legal concerns. Now, you told me earlier that this doesn't really have a lot of uh, legal problems. I have one that it, it does not matter. There's a lot of driving without headlights in this episode, and I think it's really fucking irresponsible. <laughs> yeah, but you see they're cops, so they aren't going to arrest themselves for it, you know? <laughs> no, I know. I just think... That's the one thing. That's... Oh my god, sorry. This reminded me of something. Mm-hmm. Is during um, one of my internships over the summer, our investigators are usually former cops, right? For the defense side. Which, like, good. You defected. I love it. <laughs> But we would be driving places to do witness interviews, and I'd be, like, sitting in the side of the car, like, having a normal-ass conversation, and then one of these fucking wild idiots would be like, oh yeah, by the way, I'm a former cop and I drive like it, before doing a U-turn in, like, a five-lane highway with the biggest fucking rental car in the world, like, just no headlight, like, no blinker, no nothing, just, like, full U-turn in the middle of a five-lane thing. Jesus Christ. Five-lane street. And I'd be like, uh, what's going on? And they're like, well, you know, that's how cops drive. I'm like, I understand, but you know you're not a cop anymore, right? And you will kill us? And get arrested. Yeah, so cops don't care. I think at that, I think if I was a cop and I saw someone do a U-turn across five lanes of traffic with no bumper i think that's like where i am allowed to just be like okay get out of the car we're going right to jail no trial yeah anyway so don't drive with former cops that's the that's the end story of that rant but yeah so the headlights thing technically illegal but like again they aren't going to arrest themselves Derek morgan does get pussy get that out of the way um yeah so like the the reason that this episode doesn't have like a ton of legal issues is because most of it takes place in a house that mm-hmm. they like have permission, like, the family's helping, blah, blah, blah. So there's not a ton of things they do that, one, could be illegal, or two, like, is changing. Like, they aren't doing a lot of scene changes, they aren't doing a lot of searches. A lot of it is focused on this back and forth with the unsub, which doesn't really give me a lot to work with. Now, I do have a, I have a question that shows that I've been learning from this. Yes. 
Okay, so Elle hits this guy really hard, and then after she's suitably restrained him, she steps on his dick? That is one of my notes. You are learning. I'm learning because he is going to be arrested and charged, so that means that he gets to file a suit against, or that means he gets to sue the FBI for being mean to him, right? Yes, he does. <laughs> so he can harm both the brutality action, which probably won't go anywhere for like the first chunk, right? Because he has a knife, he's attacking her. So like the first mm -hmm. general, she beats the shit out of him. That's whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, stepping on his dick doesn't hurt him, but it is a threat. So that would at least come up in litigation. I don't know how far it would go. I'd argue stepping on his dick, regardless of pressure, might hurt a little bit. Well, it would hurt, but it, would it, like, physically injure him permanently? But would affect whatever confession he gives, because he is under arrest, obviously. Doesn't get read his rights, presumably, right? Because she's stepping on his dick. And she says, like, she steps on his dick and immediately is like, tell me where the girl is. And unless the camera cut after she went, tell me where the girl is, you have the right to remain silent. <laughs> I don't think you can read someone their rights when you're stepping on their dick. I think that's actually not allowed. Yeah, you know, uh, so it does mean that, again, Anything that you tell the police when you waive your rights has to be knowing, intelligent, voluntary. This wouldn't be voluntary, right? She's physically threatening him. Voluntariness, like I said, I think a few episodes ago, pretty much generally means just physical force, which this would obviously be. And so his confession would probably be stricken, but his confession leads to finding of Trish, right? Now, people aren't excluded so if you find a person or you find like what happened that's usually not excluded so the fact that she's there any testimony she might give would come in now any evidence they find at the physical scene would probably be given up so that's from a doctrine completely invented by the supreme court called the um, fruit of the or yeah the fruit of the poison tree yes thank you you are learning again well that one i knew from svu <laughs> Well, that one I knew um, because I don't know anything. <laughs> but yeah, so fruit of the poisonous tree. So that basically means that the tree, the poisonous tree, is generally speaking whatever invalid search you did or invalid confession as this is. The fruit is whatever you find that isn't a person or whatever testimony they can give. So if there were like his fingerprints, his DNA, whatever else, probably wouldn't be admissible. But Trish and whatever testimony she has would be and like... He wasn't wearing a mask. She saw him. She was drugged for a good portion of it, but like she would presumably be able to identify him in court. So generally he's still fucked. So again, they luck out just from like the look of the draw more or less. Now I do have a question because the Patricia was drugged and disoriented the whole time. So would her testimony be reliable? So that's a that would be a question for the jury to decide. So you so they could put her up there no matter what, right? But the jury would be the one to decide how reliable her testimony is and whether or not how much credence they give it in deciding, but they can offer her testimony as she was like physically there and physically conscious for parts of it. Now, the jury probably wouldn't find a ton of it credible, but if it's the first portion of it where he has her at gunpoint, unless he just drugs her immediately, like, she saw his face, right? So the defense attorneys would hammer on the fact that she was drugged, she was scared, etc. But again, I would assume that the jury is going to find her testimony credibly enough to identify who kidnapped her. Yeah, because here's my thing. I think it's going to, you're going to have a hard time in court because you can't have the, the confession. The witness was drugged and also witnessed a traumatic event. So her memory might be fucked as well. He didn't really do anything to Cheryl that's like really 
super incriminating. Like he said, like a creepy word to her. But like, jur- you know, that could go either way with the jury. Really, we got to give it to the VIP for this case, Derek fucking Morgan, who's going to at least get an assault charge on this guy. Yes. Also, you can use a lot of circumstantial evidence in court. Like, it doesn't have to all be direct because the jury, again, decides like what they want to do with it and what's credible. So they can absolutely use the fact that he's being creepy to Cheryl. Mm-hmm. And, like, saying that he took her sister to pin him for the sister's murders. Again, jury trials are never, like, 100% one way or the other. But I would, you know, that's the kind of factors in play here. I was saying, like, it's not, just, it's not a particularly easy case to try. Uh, I'm sure whatever prosecution is, like, assigned to this case, it's just like, God fucking damn it, Hell Greenway. Right? Like, literally, like, they had such a slam dunk case, and then she stands on this dude's dick for five minutes, and it's like, ruins half of their case. The fucking tower collapses before us. Which, like, this is why you don't get a SVU detective that's got everything to prove and nothing to lose, because she's gonna step on some guy's dick and blow our case out of the water. (laughs) Yes. So, I also have one of my notes. Again, I'm keeping track of whether things are federal crimes or not. So, kidnapping is a federal crime when the victim goes across state lines. They didn't hear. The perpetrator goes across state lines. Didn't hear. Or they used interstate commerce, like I mentioned in our first episode, Mm -hmm. which, again, is very broad. If the federal government wants in, they want in. Because using interstate commerce is using things like the mail or banking during the kidnapping, which if you're leaving a kidnapping ransom note, like through the mail, or you ask for a money transfer, banking, you can be charged for a federal crime if the feds want jurisdiction. So it also includes any um, U.S. or foreign government officials being kidnapped while they perform their duties or due to their duties. But since these are like the kids of the U.S. um, district attorney, that doesn't count. Yeah, I I would like... Wouldn't the U.S. Marshals kind of be more in charge of this one? Yeah, like, I don't know why the federal government is in on this one, except that they just wanted it for the plot. I mean, I'm sure I'm sure the FBI could help and would help, but yeah, like you said, there are other, like, government officials and agencies that would be much more, like, in line than, like, the FBI. And much more equipped to handle this yeah. case. Because, like, we've got, we've got six assholes who are just yelling at each other for... A whole night. Hey, this is also episode, it's going to play a key part in my ongoing litigation, which I myself am filing, which is uh, Spencer Reed versus the FBI uh, for just flagrant fucking Title Seven discrimination. Because this is like episode, like, we had five episodes. This is like episode three where somebody has called Spencer Reed autistic. Yeah, like, and they do it constantly. Now, admittedly, this is the unsub doing it, so, like, it's whatever. Yeah, but he's an FBI agent. Oh, and an FBI, so yeah, fuck him. <laughs> You're right, the right, uh, I, I argue as his civil rights attorney that the, the FBI has created an atmosphere in which even rank and file members call this man autistic in a discriminatory way. Yes, also... This is all a joke. Unrelated, about Elle stepping on this guy's dick, like, they walk out of the house with, like, Trish and, like, the unsub arrested, and Reed's like, how do you think she got him to confess so fast? That's wild. And Gideon literally says, let's not ask questions, let's just enjoy the moment. (laughs) Hey, Reed, I can't explain a crime to you. Which is hilarious. (laughs) Yeah, Gideon's like, you know what, um, I don't want to know. It's fine. We'll just do whatever. Gideon, no, surely puts on his fucking blinders at this point, and he's just like, she did what she had to. 
That's my statement. Read and get in the fucking car. <laughs> yes. So my only two other legal notes are, one, they do try to trace the unsub's phone and they record all the calls. That's fine. They don't need a warrant or anything like that because they're recording the phone in the house. So, like, they don't need a warrant. They have already, already have permission. And the phone tracing... That's so short-term and can be done, again, using whatever phone line they have at the house that it's not technically a search, so that's fine. They also don't need a warrant for the ransom drop slash, like, attempted arrest because, again, they have all the probable cause they need to arrest whoever is there. Warrants generally need, like, a specific person or a specific place, but if the FBI agents can say, hey, we set up this drop, whoever shows up in a dark van asking for money is our unsub, that's usually specific enough to allow them to at least arrest them on suspicion. This is a very, um, until Elle steps on a dick, a very, very legal episode. Yeah, it's very chill. I do have two notes, which is one, they waited so long to wonder why he was doing the money drop. Like... Hotch and Morgan figure out that he's doing it to kidnap um, Cheryl Mm -hmm. like 30 seconds before he tries to do it. And it's like, hey guys, could you maybe put a little bit more brain power into this before sending her out? No, dick out. We are finding this out in the field. (laughs) Yeah. Also, the criminal prosecutor, like, they mention what, they mention erotomania and they're like, yeah, this is what it is. And he has like, he's like, what's that? I've never heard of that before. If you're a criminal prosecutor, you know what the fuck erotomania is. Yeah, it's not, you're not like a tax lawyer. You're a prosecutor. Like. (laughs) Yeah. You deal, especially if you're that high up, you have worked felony and murder cases pretty regularly. So you have a decent grasp on mental health, at least to know what it is. Like you're a law student and you know what this yeah like it's pretty it's pretty simple so that was my one note my other note related to this is that it's pretty sexy they're doing an episode about a lawyer but unsexy it's about a fucking prosecutor who is a cop yeah come back to us when you do a defense lawyer yeah that you don't make into a pedophile here and again i keep talking about this i think you would like svu because every defense lawyer is like the most like they're so evil and like really weirdly specific ways but then like you'll meet them outside of the courtroom and it's like wow you're kind of a horrendously evil bitch and it's like well doesn't he deserve like due process rights like i know you think he's a pedophile but like the evidence you have is bullshit made up and you intimidated like eight people to get it so like maybe do your jobs and i'm not the evil one that's gonna be me in real life (laughs) yeah no i like it's there's like this one uh there's this one lawyer, and she defends, like, fucking every pedophile in goddamn New York State. Apparently, there's just a phone that rings in her office constantly. But she'll be there, and she'll, they'll be like, why are you defending this guy? He's evil. And it's like, because he deserves a lawyer. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you see, people get basic rights under the Constitution. Yeah, damn it. Um... <laughs> But yeah, so that's kind of really all we have for this episode. Yeah, so next week we will go to our fucking favorite of season one, I think. Because this episode is wild. Yes. So um, until next week, uh, this is Work the Case Pod. Yeah, talk to y'all later. Thanks for listening to Work the Case. If you liked today's episode, please consider leaving a five-star review on iTunes. It really does help get our podcast out to more listeners. And if you want updates on when the next episode will drop and other tweets about the show, follow us on Twitter at WorkTheCasePod.